So turn to the book of Ephesians. <clears throat> the book of Ephesians in chapter 4. We are, uh, we didn't get near as far. I knew we'd have to do some uh, breaking up last week, but we ended up breaking way earlier than I expected. So I'm going to try to get a little further today. But at the same time, I want to make sure that we're doing it well. So Ephesians and chapter, you can stand. We're going to be uh, reading a few verses here. Ephesians chapter 4, if you're willing and able, in honor of the reading of God's Word. Verse 12, Ephesians chapter 4. Okay, well, we can, we can move back a little bit. But Ephesians is a great book about the church. Often it's referenced as about all believers, but it's actually, it's a church book. Uh, pass it's a church book uh, unto him be glory in the church okay and uh, so uh, we've got here verse 12 we see some of the some of the context here verse 11 and 12 some apostles some prophets some evangelists some pastors and teachers uh, for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry for the edifying again see that the body of christ and again while while people normally t- interpret the body of Christ as all believers, the Bible does not define it that way. The Bible in Colossians says that the body of Christ is the church, very clearly. His body, which is the church, okay? So he says there, that's kind of the idea. See that? For perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man. Again, this does not mean perfect as in without error. It means, it means perfect as in complete, as in a, as someone that's maturing. Okay, so it's a mature person, the idea of mature. And that did, they were not changing the definition. The word, the word perfect there matches that well in the English language as well. We just don't use it that way anymore. Okay, so uh, maturity there. And, uh, okay, verse, middle of verse 13 unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that's the goal. The goal is to be grown up like Christ. Amen. Verse 14. That we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head even Christ. If you're at our last band of brothers, you know we talked about this right here, that uh, as men we need to be leaders in speaking the truth in love. But that's not where we're going to be. Well, I shouldn't say that. We are going to touch that topic tonight. But verse 16. From whom, from whom that would be Christ, the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Isn't that interesting? When you, uh, when you uh, slam your thumb in the door, does the rest of the body stand back and look at it and call it stupid? No, the whole body, literally, the, the circulatory system gets involved, the brain gets involved, uh, the, parts of the, the parts of the body that, that give adrenaline, that give painkillers. Yes, your body has its own painkillers. And, and the part of the body that tells to send uh, white blood cells or blood cells down there to start healing things up. If those are white, I think. I don't remember. We'll see. But the whole body gets involved in healing 
that one hurt spot. Okay? So you see, and I'm not, we got one, well, let me read verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk, not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind, on their own, by themselves, thinking that's only about themselves. No, listen, we need to be thinking as a body. We are a body. This body needs to be fitly joined together. In other words, we need to be so tight that when one person hurts, we all hurt, and we all, instead of you know, looking at, you know, pat them on the back, hope that works out for you, hope you feel better about that, instead we seek to find ways to help the situation and help them uh, heal. Amen? That's how that's supposed to work. So we're going to look a little bit at the nature of church discipline, the nature of it, uh, and then also some, possibly we'll get into the principles of it as well. So let's pray. Father, we thank you, um, Lord, that you have given us this body called the church, that we are not without resource. Lord, that you've given us the ability to dwell together in unity. You've given us the ability to dwell together in peace and to find our, our help from each other. Lord, to find our healing from each other. To find, uh, Lord, our, our growth and our help, Lord, when we come together through the preaching, through the singing, through our fellowship, through encouraging each other, and sometimes even, uh, Lord, rebuking each other. Lord, there are times when, uh, Lord, we just need our church. And when we're hurting is not the time to leave the body, but is the time to cry out to the body for help. Lord, well, thank you for that. Lord, I pray that you would, um, Lord, now help us look at what we're looking at tonight. You'd open our hearts and minds to this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. It's an awful and sinful, wicked thing when a believer that is a member of a New Testament church finds more healing in the lost people that he works with than he does in the members that he goes to church with. That's wicked. Not for, I'm not saying that person is wicked. It's, it's, it's wicked that there is no help in the church or that they've not sought it, okay? Some, so I mean, listen, I understand everybody likes to stand on their own two feet. Can I just let you all in on something, whether we're from the west or the east or wherever? God did not design us to not need people. God did not design us to stand on our own two feet. I don't know if you know that or not. God designed us to function in a family group, not just brothers and sisters by blood, but in communities, in, in, in definitely in a church context. We, this in no way, shape, or form are you supposed to suffer alone. Now, part of growing up, uh, listen, you know what I'm talking about, part of growing up is learning what real suffering actually is and what you can actually put up with. You know what I'm talking about. There are some things that you, you know, you, you hurt yourself and, oh, big whoop. You know, I mean like a paper cut. Stings to high heaven, doesn't it? And it gets worse if you use a manila folder, and then sometimes even cardboard boxes can do it too, which is just astounding. But, and you get those paper cuts, and you look at, well, like, you know, I got it. I, I don't need help with this one. But there's times when something rolls along in your life and knocks you down and knocks you down good. Sometimes it's nice just to have a hand that helps you stand up. 
And sometimes you need folks to gather around and lift you up. Are we here? Does everybody understand what I'm saying? You get hit by a car hard enough, it's not likely you're walking out of that. You're going to need help. Is everybody here? And listen, we, we need before we get into too much further into the idea of church discipline, we need to make sure that we don't skip what is the nature of the church. The church, this membership, listen, this membership is designed to lean on each other, to need each other. If we're, and now listen, we're not, now everybody's going to start running this in their brain right down the pathway of their, all of their own physical things. Now remember, a church is a spiritual organization that is supposed to grow spiritually together for the purpose of giving out the gospel. Everybody here? Well, actually for the purpose of the glory of Christ. And to Him be glory in the church. But how we do that primarily is obedience. Christ gets, Christ gets glory when we obey. And the primary thing that we have to obey is what? The Great Commission. That's a, that's a thing. So, listen, if, if, we're, if we cannot help each other grow spiritually, so this ought to, this ought to start, start you pausing right now. Are you growing spiritually? Because there's not a Christian in the world that should not be growing. It don't matter if they've been saved a thousand years or a thousand seconds, every Christian should be growing. Because what is the goal? It said right there, to the measure of the stature of Jesus Christ. Anybody in here ever going to make that in this lifetime? No. So we're all supposed to be growing. We are all, let, 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 me, let me change it out a little bit, we are all disciples of Jesus Christ. What is a disciple? Now granted, listen, I know that there's a religion or a denomination that calls themselves the disciples of Jesus Christ. That's not what I'm talking about. What is a disciple? A disciple is not someone who says that they're following a person. A disciple is someone who is following a person. Okay? Do you hear that? So let me, let me put it to you this way. If, if Katrina says she's my disciple and I say follow me, and I walk this way and she's still sitting down, is she my disciple? No, she's all talking, no action. That's not a disciple. A disciple is one who says, this is the person I'm following, and if I was to say, follow me, I'm not going to make her do it, but she'd jump up and follow me wherever I went. And if I said, go do this or go do that, she wouldn't have a bit of problem. Okay, I'm going to go do this and I'm going to go do that. There wouldn't be a bit of problem with that. Why? Because she's a disciple. A disciple, so let me just bring that down a little bit closer. I come to church. That doesn't make you a disciple. Why do you come to church? Start thinking about that. Because you're wanting to grow spiritually or because you don't want to get in trouble with a friend? Because you're part of the body and the body needs us? And because this is where Christ says you should be, if the assemblies gather together, this is where you should be because He's the head, right? So we have, to, we have to understand the nature of a body before we really get into this discipline. I know we covered some last week, and I, I think we covered it well, but we have to understand that the church is supposed to be a functioning spiritual body, and we are to be growing. Uh, and yes, there's some parts that, you know, some parts aren't growing as fast as other parts, 
And, you know, I mean, we, we should be a, there should be, a, we literally, every church should be a mix of newly saved people and people who have been saved a very long time. If it starts getting too settled with just all saved people, we lose our zeal, which means we begin to lose our heart. And we stop going out and trying to tell people about Christ because we need youthfulness. Amen? And I don't mean youthfulness in age, although that's a good thing too. I mean youthfulness... Do you, know what, do you know what youthfulness in spirituality and Christianity does for us? It challenges us to make sure we know what we're talking about. Not to be a little louder about it, because I said so! Because that's always the best answer that ever was, right? No, the best answer that ever was is because the Bible says. Because God says. Because God, in His Word, says. And, you know, when we have youth come in and they begin to challenge us and ask questions, that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. That's what they're supposed to do. Literally. Well, why should they ask questions? Because they got a brain. And they think. And they need logical Bible answers. Not, well, it's what Grandma always did. That's nice. What does God say about that? Amen. Come on. Okay, yeah, listen, this, a church <coughs> is a body that needs to grow. Amen. And we are disciples. We're disciples. Now, what are we studying? Church. I pointed out last week, it's the same root word. Discipline and disciple is the same root word. In other words, listen, um, Discipline's design is, and its purpose is maturity, to make the person a better disciple. It's corrective, not punitive. Now listen, it can be punitive if there's no response, but the purpose is corrective. Okay? Is everybody here? Okay, so the nature of church discipline. It starts right off in verse 12. What's the nature of church discipline? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. That's what we're here together to do. That's what, the, that's what generally speaking, we should be. And this church discipline should have this as the goal. And that remember, we talked about the, the three layers. That there's a, We start off with a personal layer. That this needs to happen all the time amongst people. Amongst good, good believers should never have trouble saying, no, I was just joking, but I didn't mean that to be real. So you didn't take that seriously, did you? Or, you know, please forgive me. I hope that wasn't offensive. Or, listen, I said this and I should not have said that. Please, would you forgive me? Or, I shared this. I should not have shared that. Please, would you forgive me? That's what mature people do. That's what a mature church should look like. And so that's what we're trying to find, get this discipleship, perfecting of the saints, this constant pushing towards a body of believers that work together, function together under the head of Jesus Christ. And church discipline is finding one of those members that's not doing what it's supposed to and revitalizing it, putting it through some physical therapy maybe, maybe doing some painkillers. You hear what I'm saying? I'm using some medical terms here, but the idea being we don't go, stupid hand, can't function, slice. Do we? It's not until the disease in the hand begins to affect the life of the body do we remove the hand. Right? Right? 
So if it causes an offense, what we're going to do is, or first thing we're going to do is we're trying to heal it. Heal it. Unless it's going to affect the life of the body. So, whether it involves raising kids, okay, preparing an athlete for competition, equipping a church body to serve Christ effectively, all three of those things need the same thing, good discipline. And often that involves training and sometimes trimming. <laughs> that's why I mentioned the 5K in connection. You know, I'm not really going on a diet. I'm actually looking at something that's, a, that's supposed to help change your whole vision of how you eat and what you do. It's more of a lifestyle change than it is a diet. And uh, it's, gonna, it's going to trim because I've already looked at some of the stuff saying, well, all the stuff it says is like I should be eating rarely is the stuff I'm eating like every day even though I'm not eating a lot of it. And I'm going, to have to, I'm going to have to exercise some discipline. There's going to have to be some changing. There's going to have to be some retraining. Well, I've always done it this way. Yes, and now you know why you are like you are. You know, I, one guy said, it took, me, it took me 60 years to get this metabolism, and I'm not going to get out of it next week, which is true. So, listen, good discipline. When you raise children, listen, if you have kids, you have to have discipline. You have to. You don't let kids do whatever they want. Letting a kid do whatever they want is the quickest way to send them into insecurity that there ever was. And insecurity will lead them to anxiety and depression because they have no hope of knowing what, is, what they can do and what they cannot do, what is accomplishable, what is right, what is not accomplishable, what is wrong, all those things. They must have discipline. They must have boundaries. You take boundaries away from a kid, you give them complete freedom to do whatever they want, and literally they actually don't know what to do. And because there's so much to do, and they can choose it, whatever, it's completely overwhelming. I am shocked that more clinicians, people who actually help people, can't figure that out. Because the successful ones who actually help people tell them, no, you have to set boundaries. And you don't cross the boundary. Where do we get our boundaries from? Oh, by the way, you don't get your boundaries from what irritates you. That's the wrong place. Because you're not God. And you don't always know what's right. The boundaries come from here. Amen. And good principles thereafter. And what do you want your kid to look like when he grows up? Do you want want him to be somebody you like hanging around with? That you think that would be helpful to God? You know, it's awful hard for a young person to learn to listen and obey God when he hasn't even learned how to listen and obey mom. Or dad. Is everybody here? I'm kind of I'm 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 doing this. It's got a formative, uh, not I'd say formative because we're going to cover. But uh, one of the next things I'm going to be doing, either Sunday night or Wednesday night, is we're going to be teaching on kids, uh, family, and kids, and discipline, and all that fun stuff. And so my brain's been running that direction. But if you're raising a kid, uh, I remember uh, talking one time. I stopped at Radio Shack. This young fellow was standing there, and I had several questions. I had a load of questions, and I was asking, "What about this? What about that? What about this? What about that?" And uh, and he kept saying, yes, sir, no, sir. And, and, I, and I said, forgive me, I'm not trying to be a pain, but I'm not getting this. Can you help me understand this, this, and that, and the other thing? And for those of you that remember Radio Shack. And when it got done, he said, oh, don't, don't, don't apologize, sir. And I finally said, well, you keep saying sir. He said, well, actually, you've said it a few times, too. And I said, yeah, that's true. I said, well, why are you doing it? He says, and this, no kidding, this is what he answered. He says, because when I was a kid, my mom and dad whooped me. I got spankings. He said, let me tell you. He said, every one of my classmates, 
They're into drugs. They have no ambition. They have no jobs. He said, and I'm, I'm at 21 years old, the manager of the store, and I'm going to go on to do bigger things. He says, I'm thankful my parents corrected me. He says, you must have had some of the same. I said, yes, I actually did. It was very interesting hearing that. Listen, when you raise kids, you give them a, you give them a direction. When, you raise, when, you're, when you're going to have an athlete, you know, if a, guy, if a guy's going to go out and run a marathon, you know, I'm just telling you, if you decide you want to run, the mar- run a marathon, you better not pick one this year. I'm just telling you, unless you're running at least 12 or 13 miles already, you better not pick one this year. You better look at next year. Next year you might be ready. Amen. It takes a while. You've got to get your body prepared for that. There's, you know, I'm going to get off the, I'm wipe pizza sauce off their face. I'm going to go run a marathon. <laughs> you know? Is everybody here? Okay. It takes discipline. It takes, some, it takes some things you have to get rid of. You have things you have to add in. You know, a church is no different. A church is a body. And if it's going to grow and be effective, guess what? It has to have some discipline. There has to be some... And what we're going to look at, this is just basically, the first one is formative discipline. Formative discipline. What is formative discipline? Well, formative, meaning formation. Just what we talked about right here. It's helping a church grow up. Churches have to grow up. And if they're going to live for, uh, if this church is going to live another hundred years, guess what? We're going to have to grow up and grow up again. It's not like a church somehow reaches 175 and they've got 175 years of more growth than every other church. No, they keep having to regrow because there should be new Christians that have to grow up. And the older ones that have the wisdom, they pass away. And a church continually is reborn with inside itself. You hear what I'm saying? This constantly. So formative discipline is something that needs to happen in a, in a church all the time. All the time. Why? Because there are lots of part, there's lots of parts of a church that, that are still babes that have to grow. They've got to come to fruition. Un, unlike, we're kind of like a, I don't know, this is going to sound really weird because it's going to connect us to snakes, but you know, there are, oh, like an eagle. I don't know if you've ever noticed, like an eagle sometimes has to go and they, they, they flop down on the ground and they start, they start beating their wings against the ground and they beat their face against the ground because they've got a, they get this buildup of stuff in their wings and in their eyes and they have to go down there and have to knock all that stuff off so they can get back up in the air and fly like a kid again. And until they do, they're not. They're stuck on the ground. They have to re- constantly be reborn so that they can go back up and do what they need to do. So for us to grow as a church, there has to be ongoing discipline exercised primarily through, listen, primarily through, almost, well, a large, largely through this right here. The pulpit, preaching. But it also starts in the pews from the listening to what's happening in the preaching. From taking what you're hearing and putting it in your life and applying it. Not just going, walking out going, he's a good speaker. I, you know, I'd, for a hundred million times, I'd rather listen to one message from a guy that took forever to say it, but helped me and I was able to walk away and be helped, than a guy who could smooth talk everything and make it sound awesome and walk out and receive nothing. There must be help. There must be teaching from the pulpit and there must be disciple, disciples in the pews who are following what they hear of God and following that teaching. So primarily through preaching. It also happens down in Sunday school rooms through teaching. 
teaching. There should be good teaching going on. And it also should happen in places where you can have, where you serve. That's a good place to learn is in service. Why is that? Because it's in services where you run in, you know, it's not like in, in my preaching and you sitting there listening, or even in a Sunday school class with a teacher teaching and maybe even some discussion, that's not usually where you run into folks where they have problems. Usually it's when you serve together, do stuff together. You know what I'm talking about? You get a bunch of guys and you got to go do a project, and if one of them has a penchant for cussing, guess what's going to happen? He's going to whap his thumb or get smacked with a piece of drywall or a two-by-four and... He'll, he'll cuss and then instantly go, oh, I probably shouldn't have said that. And some other brother give him a look like, really? And walk... The guys are good at that, you know. Seriously? That's what you're going to do? And that rubbing shoulders helps a per- maybe help another brother go, yeah, you know, I probably ought to lose this. I- I've heard, I heard two brothers having a conversation about one of them's, one of them's uh, radio station. It was great. I, just, I was sitting there the whole time. I'm the preacher. I just kept my mouth shut. What are you listening to that for? Oh, it's just on. I don't even listen to it. Well, you should. Do you hear what that guy just said on there? No. Two brothers, and he's just helping each other out. You know what I'm saying? It's in service. It's in fellowship where we look at each other and, and we start just helping each other form better habits, become better believers. Well, I don't go to outreach. Why not? Well, I don't have time. Okay, I understand. So where are you doing your outreach? Well, well you're a believer, aren't you? You're a believer, aren't you? Well, yeah. Well, you've got to start developing some habits. What are we doing? We're not trying to make the person feel bad. We're trying to help them understand you're not growing, and here's a spot. Guess what? You need to grow. And it's not hard. Just, just obey the Lord. God's right there helping, and he's the one doing the growing inside. You, you see the verse, and you say, well, I can't do that. Well, God says I can. Okay, by faith then, I obey what God says I'm supposed to do, and God by faith empowers what I'm doing, and I begin to see God do things I never dreamed. And wow, you want to talk about growth in a Christian, you start helping them see that God moves when they obey, and they're going to be, wow, this is like like an untapped power source. It's amazing. Formative discipline. And we could could look at a lot of stuff here. So discipline. So let me tell you, the, the, the etymology, the background of the word discipline, again, we keep thinking of it as, you know, a sledgehammer or a whip, you know. Instruction. That's like the first word, discipline. Instruction. But it's not just instruction. Because there has to be a disciple. There also, the second definition is learning. So discipleship, listen, is instruction with learning. <laughs> you understand that? In other words, that when there's instruction going on, you have a responsibility as a disciple of Jesus Christ to be learning. Amen. This is good discipleship, good discipline, by the way. So, now there is further definition of discipline. And this this is, it gets closer to what we understand it, but it's like this. It's treatment that corrects. Treatment that corrects. Uh, some of you, some of you here, go out to Dr. Laura. I, I go out to her every once in a while. 
Uh, she's a chiropractor, and what she does is she gives you a treatment that corrects the, the, uh, the location of your bones, getting them back where they're supposed to be. When I was uh, 15, I believe, years old, 15 years old, I was playing uh, soccer, and it was extremely wet and cold, and I made a sliding side tackle, and I was, I was swinging for the fences, kicking, and uh, when I, I kicked, I kicked so hard that I literally uh, blew a whole bunch of muscles and bones and tendons in my back. They were all supposed to be connected, and when I got done with that kick, they weren't. Um, they had to carry me to, uh, because it's in a location nothing a doctor could do. So I, we, went, we went to a chiropractor, and over the course of about six weeks and one whole year of missed sports, um, I, I finally began, I, first I had to get to walk again because I couldn't walk, and they had to carry me to the chiropractor. And uh, when I, I was able to kind of walk out of the chiropractor, but it took weeks and weeks and months and months of him constantly pushing things back where they're supposed to be so that they could heal properly. Sometimes we do have to have that treatment that corrects. You know, it's not like churches don't develop bad habits. It's not like churches don't have spots where something... something uh, used to work really good and now it doesn't work so good anymore. Or churches, churches literally that have one part of the body that's supposed to be just a normal functioning part of the body working with everyone else is now, is now taking all the attention. I have been to some of those churches where the pastor was not the leader of the church there, and it was an undercurrent because there was another leader and the church was divided. Is everybody here? The church was divided because do we follow the aging pastor? Do we follow this other possible leader? And so there was confusion. And at some point, there has to be formative. There has to be a treatment that corrects that problem. Sometimes that would be removing the person who's causing the leadership issue or retraining him to understand this is, he's not, he doesn't have a place here. <laughs> it's God, the pastor, and the church. That's, kind of how, that's the, the deacons. It's not some side person that can steal the whole show. Uh, like I've heard of church, churches where an assistant pastor has come in, has come in, and basically took all the members and went off and started a new church. <laughs> the assistant pastor—that's not good. That's not right. Now, granted, if it's over doctrine, I understand. Most of the times, it's not that way. So, formative discipline. Sometimes we do need treatment that corrects, or, um, <clears throat> or sometimes, and this is another definition, and I like this one. It's order that is necessary for instruction. You know, it's awful hard for kids to learn when it's just completely disordered, right? That's, you know, so like when we have Sunday school classes in junior church, there's, there's some fun time, and then there's some training time. And we do the fun time because you've got to wear a little bit of that energy out. And kids are kids. It's hard for them to sit still for as long as the adults can sit still listening to the preacher or pretending to listen, whatever. So we mix it up a little bit. But one of the things that we teach our kids is that life is a life of order. I mean, isn't it the most awful thing in the world when you, you, know, you leave elementary school and you get into high school and you've got to find your room, you've got to have your books, and when you get done, you've got to... I mean, before it was easy, you got just open up your lid and haul out the other book and trade it out and the teacher would tell you which one, you know? And then you get to high school and there's like no training. You've got to be at this class, have, you know, make sure you've got your books. And you show up, oh, I don't have my books. Too late now, pal. <laughs> Tomorrow you better do better. The whole, at least that's what school is supposed to be, is, is an increasing amount of order. 
And then you look forward and you get married. You think, this is going to be the best thing in the world. I can do whatever I want. And then you find out that marriage has some order to it. And then you think, oh, kids, this is awesome. We got kids we want, and this is so great. And then you find out, hey, wait. I can't do all the same fun stuff I used to do all the time. Is everybody here? Formative discipline. Even a church needs formative, ongoing instruction. It needs ongoing learning. Sometimes it needs treatment that corrects, and sometimes it needs to have a reestablishment of order, like Second Corinthians, first, like the church at Corinth, rather. They need a re, they need an establishment of order that provides an atmosphere where people can hear instruction can be given and it can be listened or can be uh, responded to. So formative discipline. Okay, so after that, which should be something we're going to get into a little bit more, I kind of rubbed on a couple times now, would be corrective discipline. Corrective discipline. I've told you before, uh, my first first time uh, when I, I, I got my first gun, my first pistol, excuse me, had my first pistol in the house. Uh, Autumn was just a little bitty girl. We were traveling. She's probably, I want to say she was around 18 months, maybe two thereabouts. Um, she could lean on top of the coffee table. I remember that. So it had to be around 18 months, I guess. That sounds about right, somewhere in there. So uh, I'm like, how, how, do I, how do I, as a parent, I have, I have the weapon, but I also have to start training. I might as well start training her now what a weapon is and what to do with it. Because I read too many stories about, you know, about kids that have never seen a weapon. And the uh, first thing they do is they pick it up and start pointing at people like they see on TV. And kids that grow up in homes where they've been trained with a weapon go, don't touch that. <laughs> Somebody get a parent. So I'm okay, i got to do something. So I unloaded it completely and I put it out on the coffee table while she's playing around. And she'd come up and she'd look at it and she'd start reaching for it. And i reach out and I took my finger and I'd flick. flick. Flick your little hand. She'd go, And you know how kids are. They get the picture the first time, right? No. Reach again. Whack. 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 And I know it's not hurting her. It's just shocking her, surprising her a little bit. But you know what? After about 15 minutes of sitting there doing that, just flick, flick, flick. Patience on my part, because she's challenging me. Just patience. Just sit there and just flick. Boom, boom. Boom. About 15 minutes, never touch that gun again. I could take it out later and put it on the table. She'd ignore that thing. She didn't want that hand flicked again. Now, there were some other areas where she wasn't quite so easy to train. And some things, you know, that's a simple thing. A simple thing. You know, this, it's just I'm teaching her around a gun. It's not a scary thing. I don't want to go, ah, don't touch it. <laughs> it's not a scary thing. It's a tool. You've got to use it properly. So click, flick, flick, flick. But there was a time when she couldn't even talk, and she started cussing out Dana. I'm telling you, it was clear as a bell. She could not say a word, but she's over going, and of course, Dana, Dana looks at it, and she's about to die laughing, you know. And she, we both know something's got to happen, and I'm behind looking at it going, I didn't even know, I didn't even know a 10-month-old could do that. <laughs> like, and Dana has to turn around and walk away, and I've got to walk out, and I've got, I got to correct this action. Like, this is not acceptable. So a little, well, it wasn't that hard. That sounded really loud. Oh, it got the ring on the, on the bottom of the diaper. Just enough for her to feel it and for that diaper to go pop. <laughs> Don't ever do that again. Never had trouble with that again. Sometimes there has to be some corrective 
discipline. The Bible does say to use a rod. Well, by the way, it says that for a purpose, and we'll get into that. We'll get into that later. People, oh, I'd rather use my hand. That's great. So every time you lift your hand at your kid, just think of that. The Bible uses a rod for many, many good reasons, not the least of which is physics, but we'll talk about that later. So corrective discipline. Sometimes action has to be corrected. Corrected. In other words, guess what that means? There's conversations that have to happen that nobody wants to have. Don't you just love it when your kids are old enough to know better? And they're doing something that you know they shouldn't be doing. They know they shouldn't be doing. And you, as a parent, you just, I don't want to have to have this conversation. Why can't they just, this is what's going to the head, why can't they just figure this out? Why can't they see that this is not going to be good at the end? And it's like, God, please, maybe you would do something. And God's saying, uh, that's what I created you for? And at some point, guess what you got to do? You've got you to have one of those conversations that says, listen, I love you to death. But you know what you're doing is not right. And you, I mean, having that conversation, I mean, those are confrontational, horrible times, but they have to happen. There has to be corrective discipline. And with teenagers, you can whoop them all you want. Most of the time, it's going to be counterproductive. What's going to work when they're a teenager is reasoning. Now, granted, I got my last whooping, I think, when I was 15. And I deserved it. I did. But anyways. At some point, there has to be, when you're looking at a person saying, listen, this is what you're doing, and you know that I don't want this, this is wrong, and you know it's wrong, and you think I'm not doing anything about it, I'm telling you, you have to stop. And then you have to begin to say, you continue this action. Look where it's going to lead you. Look where it's going to lead you. Who else is doing this? Great. Have you seen their family life? I'm telling you, corrective discipline... There's conversations that have to happen. Sometimes there are conversations that have to happen between two full-grown adults. You know, there's families. We're, we're not. We're not going to make it as far. This is good stuff, though. But You know, there's families, and some of you know it. They have, uh, they have a way of getting you to do stuff, and it's through guilt trips. Through guilt trips. So, you know... You finally get to go to mom and dad's house, and you've been gone, married, you've got a job, whatever, out, and you finally get a chance to go to mom and dad's house, and the first thing you hear when you walk in the door is, oh, you guys never come. Well, it's about time. That's called guilt tripping. Instead of thankfulness that they're there, it's guilt tripping them, trying to get them to show up more. You hear that? And let me just tell you, that, that's a cycle that perpetuates itself endlessly it doesn't quit well I wish you would you know what I'm talking about is everybody here that's, that's guilt trip and that is not what, how we get people to do things that is not, that is not corrective discipline that's emotional uh, mismanagement it's, emo, it's emotional manipulation is what it is and manipulation is not corrective discipline it's not I'm sorry 
Corrective discipline is something that actually is a sin that you can fix. I am so glad you're here. Thank you very much. Now, if it's, if it's been like a year since they called, my mom would had one thing. She never, hardly ever, if ever, did it. Um, but I remember one time she says, she says she, uh, Tim, yep, you know I love you. Yep, says, I know you got a life and family, but I really, could you call me just a couple more times? I, I feel lonely, and I, I miss you, and I want to, well, you know what? That is so straightforward. There's no emotional guilt trip on that. I'm like, you're right. The fact that she misses me, that's an honest, open thing. I miss you, and you don't have to call me all the time. I don't have to have it. I would like to talk to you some more. Okay. You know what? I can respond to that. But this, you never call. How come you don't know? Everybody hear what I'm saying? Listen, we have to be careful about using guilt trips as a replacement. And preachers do it. Preachers do it. I've heard preachers do it, trying to guilt trip people. Listen, the only, the only guilt trip I want to land anybody is, if you can call it guilt, is present to you the clear, the clear words of Scripture and for you to feel guilty because you've been ignoring it. That's between you and God, not between you and me. <laughs> and it shouldn't be guilty because, thank the Lord, the guilt has been paid for. It should be called conviction of the Holy Spirit, reminding you, yeah, this is something you need to change. You need to grow here. Amen. Corrective discipline. Amen. Physical um, listen, is it fun to have those conversations? I'm, I'll say, I, I, I have been on both ends of spankings. I, I keep saying spankings, but usually it's more like a whooping. Spankings, whoopings, whatever you want to call it. And I'll tell you, it ain't fun on either end. It's not fun on either end. And if you as a parent are getting some joy out of that, you need to come see me and we need to talk. There's some problems there. Or if you're allowing anger issues to, to get into the middle of that, you need to come see, we need to talk. Nobody likes to have these conversations. I'm telling you, I, <laughs> I was talking with a preacher the other day, and I, I was just getting some advice on looking for another staff member and talking to him a little bit. And, he, and I said, man, I said, I've not had to go this particular route where I've got to go out and interview and talk to people, and I, I just don't like that. I'd rather have God just kind of make it you know, happen and he, he says, yeah, he's, I'm saying, I just don't, it's awful. He said, yep. He said, I don't know what's worse, trying to find a staff member or trying to get rid of one. <laughs> yeah, I'd never thought of it that way. And then he began to tell me that as a, as a pastor with staff, the things he was having to do, like have to sit on a guy all the time. When I say 8 o'clock, I mean 8 o'clock. And when I say you need to leave at 5, you need to leave at 5. You just constantly can't. Only reason you're working extra is so you can build up enough to have a you know two, three, four days free down the road. So I'll be gone. This is your day off. I don't want you here. Go home. You know, and I mean it was I'm saying, this is good stuff. And he says, none of those conversations are fun, but every one of them has to happen. He he's he, you know, you're looking at someone who's coming in, they're they're a new generation, you have to say, This is what this looks like, this is what work looks like, this is what you're gonna have to do, is my expectations. He says, you have to give people your expectations, and then you have to tell them you're not meeting the expectations. Why aren't you meeting the expectations? This is what was laid in front of you, and you knew that's what you had to do. Oh, inspect what you expect. I hate doing that. Just give a guy a job and hope he doesn't. If he doesn't, then, you know, pray to God that he'll do something. And God's only saying, no, practice some corrective discipline. 
If you're in this room and you are stuck in sin, you know it's a sin, you hate it, you despise it, you wish you could quit and you're having a trouble with it, and you know for a fact that you're a believer, you need to seek out corrective discipline. Well, why would I do that? I might embarrass myself. No, you might grow. If you're a, if you, listen, if you're a young person here and you are involved in sin against your parents, you know what you need to do? You need to go to your parents and admit it. They'll kill me. No, they won't. They might think about it. <laughs> you know what happens every time I've seen parents go through this? Yeah, some, there's an emotional couple moments and after a while the parents realize... I've got to fix some stuff. If, if you're in sin and it's unconfessed, that's a big problem. So if you're in sin with your parents, you need to go take care of that. I'm telling you, best thing you'll ever do, I've done it, best thing you'll ever do, take care of it. Corrective discipline. You need, if you're a believer in a, in a body of Christ and you want that body, body to grow and you are involved in active sin and not seeking out self-discipline for it, don't blame everybody else because the church isn't growing. Don't point your finger at everybody else saying, well, they're the reason, they're the reason, when you know you yourself are actively involved in sin and you are not allowing discipleship to happen in your life to help grow you as a believer. Corrective discipline has to happen. It's regrettable, it's unpleasant, it's not fun, but if the honor... if the <clears throat> Keeping things going smoothly... Is the, is the job of someone who doesn't want anything to go wrong. But doing things right sometimes takes some very unpleasant actions. Amen. Doing things right takes some unpleasant actions. The honor of the Lord is at stake. In some ways. I mean, we're not going to damage His honor. But the testimony of the church sure would be. You think about the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Do you think Peter enjoyed having to call Ananias and Sapphira liars in public and then have young men carry their dead bodies out of the, out of the congregation? Do you think that was something that... They, was that Peter or Jane? I think it was Peter, wasn't it? You think that was something he enjoyed? I think that was something he dreaded. I bet you he I bet you remembered that till the day he died. I bet you he didn't sleep. I bet you had flashbacks in the night about that. But you know what? It had to happen. You've lied to the Lord. This is sin. This is wickedness. Why have you thought this? God's the one who took care of the discipline portion of it. Is it is it important that a church now, now listen, we're not talking about perfection here, right? We're growing towards perfection. The purpose is growth. The purpose is that each person in the room growing and helping others beside them grow also. And when we realize that we're a source of the problem, that we seek help to gain that, to fix that problem. Sometimes that can happen if we just start paying attention to what's being preached right here and get back in our own devotions time. Often, God can take care of those things and restore it to us, but sometimes we need help. Amen. 
The nature of church discipline, listen, we are a body. We're supposed to function as a body, tight-knit. When, when there is a problem in the body, there should be the whole body running to help take care of that particular portion of pain, helping to heal it. And then, interesting, the body even has the ability to uh, increase the function of the other members so they can complete the task at hand while still healing the damaged the damage part of the body. And that is exactly what we should be doing. Helping each other, healing each other, seeking, seeking to help each other grow, seeking for ourselves to grow. Formative discipline, listening, purposefully implanting on ourselves disciplines to help ourselves grow, and then seeking out corrective discipline or applying corrective discipline to another brother in Christ. Now again, because of sin, not because of something we don't like, because of sin, Actively going and saying, listen, this is not right. You need to get this right. This is, this is wrong. What can I do to help you make this right? Amen? The nature of church discipline is we are to be disciples, and we are to, as Ephesians 4.12, perfecting of the saints, maturing of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, to grow into maturity under the measure of the stature of the fullness of, Jesus, of, of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine or rumor of Facebook, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ." What is, what's the nature of church discipline? The nature of church discipline is growth, maturity. Amen. Formative and corrective discipline. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for the